Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr. Speaker, there will be a further opportunity to acknowledge your contribution and achievements in this House. But let me say briefly, on behalf of all members of the House, your record of service to this House and to this country has been outstanding over 30 years, and you have shown unfailing personal kindness to all members on all sides of this House. Uh, Mr Speaker, could I also uh, express my thanks personally to you and wish to be associated with the remarks of the Prime Minister uh, and expressions of condolence to the serviceman who's lost his life. Mr Speaker, there's widespread concern, um, both in the country on all sides of the House here, about the Government's plans for the privatisation of Royal Mail. In the light of that, will the Prime Minister now reconsider those proposals? Mr Mr. Speaker, we've put before the the House, and it's in another place, the problems that Royal Mail have got to face up to. Uh, It's losing five million letters a year. It's losing a large, um, a, 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 a large. It is losing five million letters from the numbers that have been delivered in previous years. There is an eight billion. There is an eight billion pension deficit. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to reassert to the House the need for new investment in the Royal Mail. Order. Most of the order. I won't allow anyone barricading the Prime Minister. It won't be allowed. And that goes for the uh, order. And that goes for the leader of the opposition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, order. Uh, the, many of the measures in the bill are supported unanimously on all sides of the House. The fact is, we have got to get new investment into the Royal Mail, and that is why we have invited outside parties to express their interest. Good health, Mr. Speaker. Thank you. The, my, uh, can I associate myself with the remarks my right honourable friend has made about those brave uh, servicemen and women who have died in the cause of Afghanistan? Mr. Speaker, uh, a few weeks ago the House debated the issue of the Gurkhas. Is my right honourable friend in a position to give us any indication of what progress has been made on this issue? Mr Speaker, as he knows, we have a great deal of sympathy and support for those Gurkhas who wish to come into this country, many of whom have served the country and our army with huge distinction over the years. We were the first government to say that those after 1997 should be able to have residence and settlement in this country, and 6,000 people have done so. Uh, We have also equalised pay and pensions, and at the same time we have raised the pension for the Gurkhas uh, back in their own country. Uh, We said that we would listen to the voice of the House uh, after the the debate that was held a few weeks ago. We have also talked to and are listening to the views of the Home Affairs Select Committee who have received uh, hearings. Uh, The Home Secretary will make a statement uh, tomorrow. I believe it is possible for us to honour our commitments uh, to, to the Gurkhas and to do so in a way that protects the public finances. Uh, that will be part of the announcement that is made tomorrow. David Callan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Marine Jason Mackey of Armoured Support Group, the Royal Marines, who was killed in Afghanistan last Thursday. Some of his family live in Bampton in my constituency, and I know the whole country will join in their sorrow. And can I welcome what the Prime Minister has said about the Gurkhas and the statement that will be made tomorrow. Can I also join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to you, Mr Speaker? 
I will never forget as a new backbencher in 2001 the kindness that you showed me and the advice you gave me. Uh, and I know that everyone wants to thank you for the public service that you have given to this House and this country. This morning, the Prime Minister said that a general election would cause chaos. What on earth did he mean? What, what would cause chaos if a, is if a Conservative government were elected and caused public spending So there we have it. The first admission that he thinks he's going to lose. Prime Minister is frightened of elections, but how can he possibly believe that in the fourth year of a parliament, in one of the oldest democracies in the world, that a general election could somehow bring chaos? Have another go at a better answer. (laughs) Mr Speaker, I'm I'm not going to support a programme of Conservative public spending cuts, but look here. The House has got to have some... The House has got to have... The House has got to have some uh, humility about what's happened in these last few days. And we've got to recognise, all of us, and that is on all sides of this House, that mistakes have been made by MPs in all parties. And having had the humility to recognise that, we also have the duty to sort the problem out. And the the only way to sort out the system is to go on and sort out the system. And that is what we're proposing to do. Now, yesterday we had good all party talks that involved the House of Commons Commission and involved all parties. We made a great deal of progress uh, on that. There is a lot of work still to do. But I would have thought that what the public wants us to do, first of all, as this Parliament, is to sort out the problems and deal with them. And secondly, what they want is a government that will deal with the economic recession. Doesn't the Prime Minister understand that the best way to show some humility is to ask the people who put us here? is so hopelessly out of touch. How can the answer to a crisis of of a democracy be an unelected Prime Minister? In months past, during this economic crisis, we've had elections in India, in South Africa, in New Zealand. They've all got new governments with a new mandate. In the United States, they had an election in the middle of a banking crisis. Was that chaos? Is President Obama the agent of chaos? Speaker, I notice that at no point does he enter the policy issues that are at stake here. At no point does he want to talk about what would be the effect of a Conservative government in this country cutting public spending in schools, in hospitals, in public services generally, and what they would do leaving people on their own in this recession. Our duty is not only to clean up the system in the House of Commons, and every member has a responsibility to work on that now, Our duty also is to take this country through the difficulties of the recession and not say to people that unemployment is a price worth paying. The Prime Minister says he wants to talk about the issues. How better to address the issues than in a general election? The Prime Minister rightly says the economy is the big issue. One of the biggest issues in our economy is the lack of confidence. Why is there so little confidence? Because there's no confidence in this government. The Prime Minister says he wants to get on with the work. The fact is they're not doing any work. They can't even organise a car scrappage scheme. We won't end the paralysis just by electing a new Speaker or even setting new rules. We've got to give the public their voice and the country a chance of a fresh start. Isn't the only way that can happen is through a general election? Speaker, I repeat, what would cause paralysis is Conservative spending cuts that would mean it impossible for our economy to move forward. 
Now, look at what we're doing to help the unemployed at the moment. 100,000 people who are unemployed being helped back to work. Every month, 200,000 and more getting back into work. The Conservatives have refused to support the money that is necessary for the unemployed. Look at our housing scheme, helping people avoid mortgage repossessions. And again, the Conservatives have refused to support that scheme. I have to, I have to tell them that the country would be longer in recession, with more debt and deficit, with more businesses going under, with more unemployment, if ever we have the misfortune of him ever being in power. People will just hear the arrogance of a Prime Minister who won't let the people decide. The, the Prime Minister... The Prime Minister talks about paralysis. This is what one of his own MPs says about government paralysis. The Honourable Member of Birkenhead, week after week, week after week, MPs have been turning up, but with no serious work to do. There's no legislative programme to speak of. Even the debates are just put on to fill in the time. The whole exercise is vacuous. Can't the Prime Minister see how badly we need a fresh start? Two years ago, he promised us a fresh start. Remember what he said outside down? Street, a government of integrity and decency. Well, that died with Damien McBride. He promised to renew trust in Parliament. Where's that promise today? He promised prudence. He promised economic stability. He promised a big house-building programme. None of these things are happening. The Prime Minister calls elections chaos. I call them change. Why can't we have one? Mr Speaker, 120,000 businesses are now getting help as a result of decisions we have made that the Conservative Party would not make. Hundreds of people are getting help to get into jobs as a result of what we are doing, where the Conservatives would abolish the New Deal. We've opened the 3000 Sure Start Children's Centre this week, something that would be at risk under the Conservatives. We've got the vast educational investment programme in our schools. The Conservatives propose to cut it. I have to say to him that, yes, there would be chaos with public spending cuts under the Conservatives, and, yes, it is an unacceptable form of going forward if a party is trying to have an election without even having a sensible manifesto other than public spending cuts. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, a businesswoman, a businesswoman who owns and runs a small manufacturing company in my constituency, came to see me last week to complain about the attitude of banks when it comes to lending to businesses such as hers. Does the Prime Minister understand that public support for the banking bailout will entirely evaporate unless banks are seen once more to be lending? to the small and medium-sized companies in which this economy depends. I, I would ask uh, your constituents to go, constituents to go back uh, to that bank and ask them to reconsider the situation and write uh, to you and then to me. The banks have agreed in the last few weeks that they will sign up to quantitative agreements, and that means that £70 billion of additional lending will go into the economy this year. £25 billion from the Royal Bank of Scotland, £14 billion from the Lloyds Bank, money voluntarily promoted by HSBC, £70 billion of total additional lending. We are the only country in the world that has this programme where the banks have signed up legally to supporting additional lending, and in the next few weeks I believe that the flow of money will be increased as a result of that. Nick Clegg. Speaker, I'd like to uh, add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Marine Jason Mackey, who tragically died in Helmand province last week, serving us, our country and the people of Afghanistan. Mr Speaker, despite our differences in recent days, I would, 
I would like to thank you for the immensely, immensely dignified way in which you made a statement yesterday. We can now move forward to reform this place from top to toe. I'm also pleased to hear from the Prime Minister that there will be a statement tomorrow on the Gurkhas, and I hope that they will receive the unqualified and full justice they deserve. The right honourable gentleman is entitled to be heard. He must be heard. Order. We now have a once in a generation chance to change politics for good, but we will betray the hopes of people for a really different way of doing politics if all we do is remove a medieval expenses system without fixing everything else. The expenses is just the tip of the iceberg. Does the Prime Minister see? that whether it's party funding through to Whitehall secrecy, the whole way we do politics must now be transformed. Mr Speaker, Whitehall secrecy, it is us, this Government, that's brought in the Freedom of Information Bill. Uh, Secondly, as far as party funding, the Justice Secretary has brought forward measures to deal with it. But I, I do agree with him. As part of the wider debate about the relationship between Parliament and the people, the accountability of Parliament to the people. We must listen to the views of people right up and down the country. We must consult and hear what they have to say. And as I said yesterday, we will be forming proposals on that in the next few weeks. Mr Sharma. Mr Speaker, that... (laughs) Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's just I thought there was two questions in the first one, but there we are. (laughs) Touché, Mr Speaker. Uh, I'm grateful to the Prime Minister for that reply, but isn't it time now to get to the heart of the matter, and that is this that his government is in power even though less than a quarter of people voted for them. But of course we should have an election. Of course we should have an election. But people don't want an election where all you will get is a few new faces with the same old rotten rules. Isn't it true, isn't it true that any system which, where so few votes give a government so much power will always breed arrogance and secrecy? Well, Mr Speaker, I was right in saying that your generosity was unfailing to all members of the House. <laughs> his, uh, his, his point about the wider reforms in democracy is absolutely right. We've got to consider how not only can Parliament be more accountable to the people, but the executive itself can be more accountable. And we want to do that in the context, we want to do that in the context of enhancing the individual and collective rights of citizens uh, in their own communities to manage more of their own affairs. Uh, I'm happy to enter that debate. We will publish proposals in the next few weeks. We've also published proposals previously on the electoral uh, system, and that is also a matter for debate. But I have to say to to them, the debate about the reform of the Constitution is more than simply that one thing. Mr Sharma. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Prime Minister, that in view of the recent elections in India, and the victory of Congress Party under the leadership of Mr. Manmohan Singh and his continuation as a Prime Minister. And at the same time, the recent developments in Sri Lanka. What steps you are taking to involve India into the peace, uh, bringing peace into that region? 
Mr. Speaker, I have sent a message of congratulations. I believe it will be on behalf of the whole House to the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Singh, who is very respected not only in the region but respected throughout the world. And I believe that we can make progress in a number of areas now that the government in India is re-established after the election. First of all, first of all, we will be talking to them about Pakistan and about security on the border between India and Pakistan. Uh, secondly, we will be talking to them about the world trade deal that is absolutely essential. And thirdly, we will be talking to them about the contribution that they can make uh, to the whole of the peace of the region and the security of the region uh, and helping us and working with us, particularly after the Mumbai bombings, uh, to deal with the problems of terrorism that exist there. Sir Nicholas Winterton. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, as a member of uh, your panel of chairmen, uh, can I say you have been a kind and caring speaker and that will never be forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask the Prime Minister whether he accepts that manufacturing industry is one of the only sources uh, of sustainable non-inflationary uh, economic growth? Sadly, manufacturing uh, employment has dropped uh, from 4.5 million in 1997 to 2.73 million today. Will the Prime Minister and his government ensure that they don't place any additional burdens upon manufacturing yeah, industry, yeah. such as the increase in national insurance, fuel tax and regulation? We want to be competitive. Please will he encourage and not incentivise industry and manufacturing in this country? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, the future of this country will be built on modern manufacturing strength. In advanced manufacturing, we're one of the great leaders of the world. We have some of the greatest companies in the world who operate from Britain, but are global players uh, with huge strengths in new technology and in innovation. Our manufacturing strategy is to support our large uh, companies. It is also to encourage innovation so that we have small and medium-sized companies uh, coming forward. We gave additional investment allowances uh, for, for manufacturing in, in the budget. Our corporation tax is the lowest it has been for, for many, many uh, years. We continue to support uh, small businesses with uh, enterprise grants. I have to say 128,000 businesses have now received some help during this downturn uh, from the government to get through these difficult times. 50% of our manufacturing is exported, and that is why it is so important that the European economy moves forward as well. And it is very important to us that we work with Europe so that we achieve growth and jobs for the future. Martin Linton. Uh, on his earlier comments about political reforms, uh, does the Prime Minister not agree it is time to redeem an undertaking we gave in our 1997 manifesto by calling a referendum on the day of the next year's local elections on the establishment of a citizens' convention to come back to the voters within two years with proposals to complete the reform of party funding, to elect the House of Lords and to make every vote make a difference by allowing voters to vote for the candidate and the party and the government they choose. Well, Mr Speaker, we, we have had some experience of constitutional conventions. Uh, one was the European Constitutional Convention, another was the Scottish Constitutional Convention. There are talks that are taking place in Wales between all the parties as well. Uh, I think if uh, he would allow me to, to ask him to wait until we publish our document in the next few weeks about greater consultation between the public and Parliament and about enhancing uh, the rights of the people in relation uh, to the accountability of Parliament itself. David Ludington. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister explain why it is that at a time when youth unemployment is rising, training providers in my constituency are being told by his government's Learning and Skills Council 
that their apprenticeship budgets for the next academic year are going to be cut. Mr Speaker, we have invested more in apprenticeships for the coming year. We have announced that we will fund 35,000 extra apprentices. I am very happy to look at the situation that he uh, raises about his own constituency, but our determination is to support apprenticeships through this downturn, to invest in them and not to cut them. Bill Wilson. Can my right honourable friend tell me which way is the best way of helping people through these difficult economic times? Either cut tax for 22 million basic rate taxpayers, increase child benefit and provide extra help for 12 million pensioners, or give tax cuts of £200,000 each to 3,000 millionaires, of which there is 19 in the Shadow Cabinet? (laughs) Mr Speaker, uh, to look at a proposal that at this time in our history would give only 3,000 millionaires £200,000 each would be completely scandalous. Uh, And to do that for 3,000 of the top estates in this country, whether they had a moat or not, would be something that the public would be unable to accept. John Barron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The 80 traveller families on the unauthorised Dale Farm site in my constituency have now exhausted all their planning and legal options following the Law Lords' decision earlier this week. In order to avoid the misery of a forced eviction, the travellers now must move on peacefully. But the situation could be greatly helped if the government helped to identify transit sites outside the district. Particularly given that the government has some responsibility for this issue because they stopped the council in 2003 from dealing with it. Will the Prime Minister work with his Secretary of State to try to resolve this very, very sad situation? Mr Speaker, this is first of all a matter for the council, but the Secretary of State will look at this matter and will talk to him. Roberta Blackman-Woods. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will my right honourable friend uh, join me in congratulating Durham County Council on its excellent and successful bid to be one of only two authorities to host the Universal Free School Meals pilot for primary children? And does he agree that measures like this are necessary if we are to effectively tackle childhood inequality? Mr Speaker, proper nutrition for young children is absolutely crucial. And that is why the pilot project to give primary school children free school meals, something that has worked when it's been tried by individual councils throughout the country, is being supported by the government. At Newham, Durham and Wolverhampton will be the pilots. They will test whether free healthy school meals improves children's health and well-being. £20 million of funding will come from the Secretary of State for Children and Families. The money is being matched by the local authorities, and we believe that it will show that nutrition at an early age makes a difference not only to ed- health, but to educational performance as well. Sir Robert Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker, sir. The country has lost touch with the political system with this Parliament. And on the doorstep, quite clearly, no confidence is left in his government, in the Prime Minister's government. Why does the Prime Minister not have the courage to trust the people and go to them and let them have a say on how this country should be run? Mr Mr. Speaker, we we have work to do. And the first work we've got to do is to clean up the system in the House of Commons. It is for this Parliament to face up to its responsibilities to change and clean up the system. And I believe we have made progress. And the way to clean up the system is to take the action to do so. And let me just say, secondly... We have a recession that we are trying to manage and come through. 
It is in the interests of the people of this country that we help those people who are unemployed, help mortgage holders, help people with small businesses. I have not heard policies from the other side of the House that would actually do that. David Hamilton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, 25 years ago, the other side of the House told us, get on your bike and find a job. After the minor strike, I was unemployed for two and a half years. During that period of time, I couldn't find a job because I was being blacklisted. It's now rearing its ugly head again in the construction industry. Will this government give us an assurance? Blacklisting is not acceptable in the 21st century. It might have been for that lot, not for this lot. Yeah. Mr. Speaking, Mr. Speaker, the blacklisting of workers or trade unionists has no place in the modern workplace. I said that only a few weeks ago, and I said we would look at the matter. The Employment Minister has now announced that the Government will bring forward revised regulations to outlaw the practice of discrimination and blacklisting, and we plan to move quickly on this, and there will be a short consultation over the summer, and legislation will be brought then to the House. Speaker, um, the conviction rate for cases of rape have fallen from 19% down to 6.5% in England and Wales, and to 2.9% in Scotland. Can the Prime Minister please explain why? One of the reasons that uh, convictions for rape have gone up in many places is by the use of DNA. And I think, that, I think, members, and I think, I, I think, I think members of the House have got to accept that DNA is an important means by which we have found and detected rape uh, victims. But I will look at the figures that he has given me and I will write to him. Marsha Singh. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, about five years ago, Westfield started to develop a shopping centre in Bradford Centre. It should have been completed next year. They now say we don't know when it's going to be completed. Bradford City Centre is left with a huge hole in the heart of its centre. Would the Prime Minister urge Westfield to keep its commitment to the people of Bradford and would he also let the House know what extra help he can give to regenerate cities like Bradford? Mr Speaker, regeneration projects should be going ahead and we'll do what we can to help make that possible. Where government money is involved, it is usually being advanced so that the public works programmes can move forward. Where it's a matter of private sector support, we are happy to bring together all the agencies to see if there is a way forward where private sector money can be brought in more fruitfully to the scheme. Uh, I'm very happy to talk to him about the project. Jim Jackson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I was privileged earlier this week to chair a seminar held by the Family Matters Institute uh, the Grandparents Association and family need, Families Need Fathers on the launch of their report called Do Grandparents Matter? Uh, when will his government make good the pledge made to me by uh, his honourable friend for Liverpool Garston in January 2006 that grandparents should be treated uh, with fairness and equity in the legal system in their heroic and unsung efforts to take care of their own flesh and blood? Yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, I should refer him to the decision in the budget where grandparents that are of working age, that are helping children with childcare, uh, can get uh, tax credits as a result of that. That is one of the ways that we can help grandparents, uh, help uh, families hold together and help uh, work with the other relatives who themselves want to get to work. So that is a big change. It was announced in the budget and I hope he can support it. Dr Alistair MacDonald. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Could I take this opportunity to pay personal tribute to you for your great kindness, generosity and understanding for me when I entered this house four years ago? Uh, uh, 
Could I ask the Prime Minister what reassurance he might give those of my constituents who are struggling to keep businesses afloat? Is he aware that the banks are ruthlessly pushing many otherwise very viable businesses over the edge by refusing reasonable loans to keep liquidity and cash flowing and also beginning to charge outrageous interest rates? far above what is reasonable or understood, and can his government do anything to pressurise these ruthless banks to free up lending in order to provide better liquidity and better, um, until the better times come? But otherwise, good businesses are being pushed out of existence. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate what he's saying, and uh, from all uh, sections of the House, there is clearly concern about how banks can better serve the public uh, during this economic recession and to help us uh, through it. And I will look at what he says in relation to the bank if he will give me the, the names of the companies and the bank. But the important thing is, in the last few weeks, there has been a change of policy. And I hope that that change of policy will have an impact in every region and part of this, uh, this country. The change of policy is that for the first time, because we've given the banks an insurance uh, uh, policy that they pay for, they are now willing to and are committed to lending extra money. Now, the increase of 70 billion for the economy is very, very substantial indeed, and companies should be getting the benefit of offers from banks now. I urge them to go back to these banks, remind them of the quantitative targets that have been agreed, and of the other means by which government has offered to help small business, including through the inland revenue. And I will certainly look at the case. But the important thing is the banks are now under an obligation to lend. John Barrett. With unemployment over 2 million, would the Prime Minister agree with me that one way to create many more jobs and to stimulate the economy would be to push forward with a high-speed rail network? Mr Mr. Speaker, that's exactly what we're looking at. Can I thank the Prime Minister for his uh, comments about the Gurkhas? We look forward to hearing his statement tomorrow. Can I try on him another recommendation of the Select Committee on human trafficking, which I know is a concern of his? Would he look at the recommendations which asks the government not to cut the funding to the Metropolitan Police's Human Trafficking Unit? It is very, very important that we deal with the perpetrators of this very difficult and very important crime. I, I, I can say to the uh, Chairman of the Select Committee uh, that the unit will have an increased budget. It is not being cut. We are doing whatever we can to support it. We recognise the need for it in difficult times.